Jesus, we do truly pray that you would be magnified, made larger, made bigger in our hearts and our minds because we tend to make you small. We like to make you fit where we want you to fit. And yet you are the infinite and boundless creator. The one who exceeds all the parameters which you yourself created for this order, this world. And so as we come to your word, may you be magnified. May the memories of the apostles inspired by the Holy Spirit um, as John's words recording your words are read and discussed May you be bigger in our lives than us. May you be magnified. May may your glory be expressed. And in seeing you, Jesus, we might see the Father. We might know the work of the Spirit on us. We pray this to you, Jesus, seated on the right hand of power in the name of that you gave us, that is the only name of salvation. We pray it in your name, Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, to God our Father. Amen. I invite you to join me in John chapter 17. This is the last week that we'll be um, looking at Jesus' high priestly prayer. And we spent a couple of weeks looking at this. And um, the first week... We talked about how Jesus prayed in submission to God, knowing what God uh, intended with him, having full knowledge of the plan, the reason that John calls Jesus the lamb slain before the foundations of the earth. And yet he still submits himself to God's will. He still um, he still uh, wills, he aligns his will with the Father's will. And then last week we we talked about Jesus praying for the protection, for the keeping, um, for the securing of those who would come after, um, the apostles and the church, and how um, we are indeed peculiar um, because we follow Christ, and so the world, uh, Jesus says, he knows the world will hate us. But this week I want to get the last piece of, John, of Jesus' prayer as John records it um, because I think it's a misunderstood idea in Scripture and Jesus gives us a very clear understanding of what it is. One of the big questions that comes up all the time is why is Christianity so divided? Why are there, at last count, 1,600 varieties of Baptists in America? Um, You know, the old joke, how many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb? Uh, Four, three to disagree on the process and one to criticize the three. Um, You know, know, we make all those jokes, you know, how many opinions, how many, anyway. Um, But Christianity is not just divided in one denomination, it's divided all over the place. There are so many different versions and brands and flavors. Why is Christianity so divided? Why, um, why did, uh, in the wake of, the, great, uh, of the, the magisterial reformation, Martin Luther and John Calvin, why did Europe erupt into war 
Uh, which, by the way, when you hear the phrase that most wars were fought about religion, um, that, that statement was made at the end of those wars. Um, and it was talking about that period of about a century where Europe really was torn apart by religious war. Why are there so many denominations? Why do they all walk around acting like everybody else is wrong and they're right? What is, why is Christianity so divided? And Jesus addressed the topic of unity, and I think it's important that we uh, listen to him and what he has to say about the subject of unity. John chapter 17 and verse 20. Jesus prays, I do not ask for these only, meaning his uh, disciples that are present there, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and me. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your word and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And Jesus prays for the church, for his disciples, for those who follow his disciples to be one as he is one with the Father. And when we look at the situation of the church in our modern world, but all through history, we find that that has rarely been the case on the big scale. Now, unity, by the way, is not everybody necessarily agreeing on everything. Unity in, in Christ is, is not, um, not having differences. Um, when I uh, moved to uh, Massachusetts as a high schooler, um, I moved, we moved in the middle of my sophomore year and I was homeschooled um, and, uh, and my dad just didn't have time to teach us or I think the interest um, uh, to teach me uh, and my sister. And so my older sister was in college, so we moved up and so we got enrolled in a, in a, a small Christian school uh, in Cumberland, Rhode Island and the rule was uh, there was a uniform. You wore blue pants and a white shirt. Guys wore blue pants and a white shirt. The girls wore a blue skirt and a white blouse. Um, and and my, about halfway through my, my, my junior year, uh, the administrator decided that we all had to wear ties as well. Um, and they were the ugliest red nylon tie you have ever seen in the world. You tied it and the knot was the size of my head. It was awful. Um, I hated these things and I thought that the administrators were trying to torture us or something. Um, but it was white shirt, blue pants. That was what you wore. Everybody looked the same. 
And, and, and that was the idea. It was like, well, everybody looks the same. And then what we did in our school, um, and I'm not criticizing them. This is the way that they were taught. The idea was there was no room for discussion about the material being presented. Now, anybody who knows me knows that that is a combination for disaster with me in a room, even at 16, I was probably worse at it because um, I thought I was a lot smarter than I really was at that age. Um, now, I, now I know I'm not, um, uh, but I'm still annoying, but I'm, I'm still there. But uh, we're sitting there and we were learning things like English, you know, and English has rules, sort of. Um, and and the, what we would do is Mrs. Griswold, um, that was her name, uh, and she was she she was about six inches wide, and then she had these giant thick bottle cap, cap glasses and frizzy hair. I wish I was making it up. It sounds like something out of a Roald Dahl um, a book, but but it really wasn't. Mrs. Griswold would come to the the edge of our row because eighth grade through twelfth grade all sat in the same room. We were all in rows. It was a small school, and we would recite the grammar rules from the book. It was pure and unadulterated torture for me. First of all, I already knew these rules. Um, I was already better at writing than, than most of the people that I knew, uh, my age and older. Um, I understood the language. I already read three languages. So the idea that I was going to sit there and go, a noun is a person, place, thing, or idea... All right, just, I mean, and that was a rule, and she would say, read rule 3.1, and we constantly had to do this. And, you know, if you've ever dealt with grammar, the difference between a gerund and a participle, it's, they're, they're fluid, all right? Grammar can be manipulated and controlled. You can make language work the way you want to work. That's how language is. In fact, if language only followed set simple rules, computers could write novels, Right? I mean, this is every, how many of you have ever tried to feed a, a quote from, tried to say something, and so you grabbed Google Translate, and you entered the English text, and it gave you the Spanish, or the Japanese, or the Swahili, or whatever, and then you practiced it, and then you went and said it to somebody who actually spoke that language, and they looked at you and went, you looked that up in Google, didn't you? Because it doesn't, well, the, and this idea of uniformity, is not the same as unity. Everybody dressing the same, doing things exactly the same, that's not the same thing as unity. Jesus prays for the unity of the church in the diversity of the church. And I want to I want to spend some time talking about this. I'm going to put if you're taking notes and you want to put something across the top of your notes if you haven't already started. This is this is the 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 preface of everything that I'm going to say and it is that unity cannot be produced through manipulation. Unity cannot be produced through manipulation. This is just a practical principle you're going to get through this text. It's not even the big idea, but I just want you to see it. You will never be able to manipulate somebody into unity. You will manipulate people into guilt-ridden conformity, but you will not manipulate them into unity. Unity comes from, here we go, you ready? The nature of God. True 
biblical unity comes from understanding the nature of God. Look at what Jesus prays in verse 21, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Jesus does not say, um, I pray that they will recognize um, all of the rules and regulations required in order to be in conformity to everything and that way they will all be in unity. He says that, you may, that they may know they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me. Jesus prays for the unity of the church in only one situation. In relationship with God. The unity of the church is not about all of us agreeing to a single human authority or voice. The unity of the church is not about us getting all of our ducks in a row. The unity of of the church is not even about all of us putting blood, sweat, and tears into the thing that we call the church, and therefore we're united because we've all put so much into it we don't want to abandon it. Now we have all been in situations like this, where you have put so much into something that you're like, I just don't want to start again. This is me with relationships. I am not very good at being a friend. Now you go, uh, wait, you're the pastor. Okay, that's true. Uh, I have known, uh, not to put them on the carpet or anything, but I've known Ray and Carol Pouliot now for, they've been at the church for five or six years at least, right? Where are they? There's Ray. All right, five or six years at least. Ray, when was the last time you were at my house? (laughs) Right? I'm just not very good at the things that people think that, that friends are supposed to do. You know, now, now I, I, I like to think that I, I, I'm there for people and stuff, but I just don't think about stuff like that. I don't think about having people over. That's why if anybody wants to have a social engagement with me, I almost always will tell you, we'll talk to Nicole. Because Nicole handles all that. Now, Nicole is friends with everybody. And I love people, all right? Um, I, I just, my... It's just my makeup, right? So when we look around and we go, okay, so um, you know, if we our unity is going to be born of of our investment into each other. Well, I I put invest I invest into relationships, but then something happens and that relationship falls apart. And every time I sit there and I go, is it worth arguing about this? Should I just give up because I already have so much invested in this relationship? I just don't want to start again. It's so exhausting for me to make friends. I just, I'll just, I'll just shut up and I'll let this person do whatever it is that they're doing, even though it's not right, because I just don't want to invest in a friend. I just don't want to put into that. And we we tend to think of unity as is unity as kind of us just getting together. And of course, that 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 idea of unity that becomes very easily manipulated. People can take advantage of unity that is born out of our effort and our rules and our standards of our investment. It's very easy for take for people to take advantage of that and say, well, for the sake of unity, you should let me have my way. For the sake of peace, you should just let me have my way. 
Now, now it's one thing if somebody chooses, right? It, it's a biblical thing for someone to choose to set aside something that they think is important for the sake of their brother or sister in Christ. That, that's a biblical thing. But for that brother or sister in Christ to demand that you put that aside so that they can have unity, that's, that's control. That's not unity. Unity is born out of the nature of God. That means that unity, and you're not going to like this, unity is born out of having sound theology. Theology is the study of what the Bible reveals to us about God. And if unity is born in the nature of God, then guess what? We better understand who that God is. And there's a whole lot of people that walk around and they want to say that unity is about everybody conforming to me. Um, I do a martial art called Aikido. You'll never see it on TV because it looks awful on video. Um, it, it, it's all about body dynamics and interconnectedness and four-legged animals, and I don't want to get into it. Um, but Aikido was founded by a guy named Morhai Ueshiba. And Ueshiba was a member uh, of, a, of a Japanese religion called Omoto. Now, you have probably never heard of Omoto. You have no idea what it means. Um, uh, Omoto means foundations, the great foundations. O at the beginning means something's great. Moto means foundation, something that you build on top of. Um, Omoto, um, uh, now, of course, anybody that's heard about Aikido, people say, well, Aikido is the way of peace. That was Ueshiba would always say. He wrote a book called The Way of Peace. Um, and told everybody about all he was interested in peace. Now, it's important that I point out that he wrote that book and he said that he was interested in peace after the Japanese lost World War II. We have a tendency to become pacifists when somebody drops two nuclear bombs on us. All right? Human beings tend to suddenly seek the path of peace after they've been blown up. And, and what Ueshiba actually meant by peace, what Omoto actually believed about peace was that the only way the world would ever truly have peace is if the rest of the world would just recognize that the Japanese people are so superior to them that they should be rulers over them. I'm not making this up. This was the foundation of Omoto religion. That the Japanese people were superior to everyone else, they were descendants of the gods, and therefore they had the right to dominate the whole world. And if they were allowed to dominate the whole world, then the world would be at peace. Now, is that really peace? The rape of Nanking? Is that really peace? The slaughter of the, the, the people in Manchuria? Um, we don't know exactly what's happened, but the guy that actually founded my part of Aikido um, was a professor, of, he was a gym teacher, literally, um, in Manchuria, which had been occupied by the Japanese. And when the Soviets were coming to the college, the students, the, uh, the professors, the Japanese professors were given orders to just round up all the Manchuria, uh, all of the, um, Mon the, the, uh, the students and kill them. And Professor Tamiki, who is the founder of my group of Aikido, was actually smuggling students out when the Soviets rolled in. He was getting them out from underneath the rest of the Japanese. And we don't know exactly what he was involved in, but the Soviets took him prisoner of war, took him to Kazakhstan for like 10 years, and then when he came back, he worked for the U.S. government. So I have a lot of questions about whether he was a spy. Um, but... Um, but that was that. The mentality was they were trying to turn these um, these kids into Japanese people. They were going to learn how to be Japanese. 
And the reason was because the Japanese are the best. Now, you go, oh, that's horrible. That's terrible. That's the worst. Is that not how human beings tend to enforce the idea of unity? We would all have unity if you would all just agree with me. If you would all just accept that I am superior to you, I have better street cred, I have better capacity, I have better ability. Um, Basically, I'm superior in every way. You should just listen to me. Now, this gets veiled in all kinds of different ways, doesn't it? You don't often get that kind of dictatorial attitude. Like, I'm better than you. It's, it's usually very manipulative. It's usually very controlling. It's, it's, it's usually done very, very well. Um, some, of the best, some of the best examples of it, I, you, you ever just step back and somebody at work, a boss or something, is talking to you and they're trying to get you to conform to something and you, you're sitting there listening to them talking you're going... You're going, where have I heard this kind of a pitch before? And then you realize it's the pitch that gets used to you every time you go to buy a car. Like you walk in and you say, this is the car I want. I mean, how many of you have ever done this? You get an advertisement from a car. You say, this is the payment. This is the thing. It's like, I want this one. And you walk in and you go, I want this one. It goes, well, you know. And then before too long, you've got a doubled payment. You've got a, a like a service plan. And they, they somehow were replacing tires on a brand new car and it's being shipped from, you know, Detroit. And, and you're like, wait, 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 what happened to me? And, and do we not sometimes see people doing that, manipulating us? And doesn't it happen in religion and the church? It surely does. But for Jesus, unity, unity for Jesus is about the nature and the glory of God. Look at verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Now, this is a side tangent. I'm just going to go ahead and bring this out, and you can take it home and process it. You can yell and scream about it on your way home if you want. It's okay. When we come together to worship and we are singing and praying and receiving the Lord's table and and studying the scriptures and we're getting into it, if you are coming into that looking for something just for you, you are wrong. You are wrong. If you're coming to church looking for your worship fix, you're, you're Jesus high. Your, your, your church uh, assuage my guilt moment. If you are coming together in the, in the church solely for yourself, you are coming for the wrong reason. Because Christ's glory was not for you, it was for us. He gives it to us that we might see who He is, and in seeing who He is, we might see who we are. This, by the way, and it it bugs some people, but I almost always change the words of songs that we sing as a church from I to we. I'm not interested in my Jesus fix. I've got all week to do things, you know, whatever. But when we come together, our purpose should be to come together to see the glory of God because the nature of God is one of unity. Perfect unity in a way that we cannot understand. That is a mystery. How one, one, uh, one essence can be three people that can be one essence. 
We don't really understand how it works, and yet it's true. It is a perfect unity, and we receive the glory of God together. It is poured out upon us that we might in some way approximate that unity. It matters. It matters that we embrace the truth of the nature of God and the testimony of the Word of God for unity's sake. See, people think unity will come if we have a great revival. People, people think unity will come if we get the government to enforce Christian morality in a bunch of non-Christian people. We think unity will come if everybody would just respect us with the respect that we deserve. We think unity would come, right, if the church grows big enough, attracts enough people. Unity will come from results. If we, we get enough baptisms and enough, everybody's going to look and say, wow, God is doing something awesome at Bedford Road. And so we just need to get in conformity with that because look at what's going on. It must be right. Uh, Church growth literature, when I was in college, used to always talk about finding the wave of God's movement and getting on board. Not surprisingly, almost everybody that wrote those books was from California. I don't know what the deal was. Because I am from, you know, from New Jersey, where we don't surf unless we want to get stabbed with hypodermic needles. And, um, and, uh, uh, because that, anyway. those of you that knew, know what I'm talking about in New Jersey, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but the, the, you know, we, and, and it was like, find the wave that God is doing. And, and for a long time, I thought, as a young man, I thought, well, that's the thing. We've got to find the wave. We've got to do the thing. And then I realized that that's the actual opposite of unity. Constantly scrambling around. In fact, I think the Bible, the Apostle Paul says something about people being blown about by every wind of doctrine. Maybe unity is not about us finding the wave, finding the groove, finding the moment, but rather about us being quiet in the presence and glory of God together. So let me give you the big idea. You will never find unity as long as unity is about control. You will never find unity in your marriage as long as the most important thing in your marriage is that your spouse conforms to you. You will never find unity with your children as long as the only thing that matters to you is that they do what you tell them to do. You say, but they're supposed to obey me. They are. That does not mean they're supposed to be little drones. Uh, You will never find unity in the church as long as you are looking for a system to make church work. Step A, step B, step D, step D. One of the very first times that I, I was asked to counsel someone, they were having trouble with their child said, I just don't understand what's wrong with this adult child. Should be a little bit of a warning there. They're not doing what I tell them to do. And the person took out a book and said, I did everything the checklist said to do. And my child is not obeying me. Now, I was young and stupid. I'm no longer young. 
And I said, you can't parent by checklist. You can't, it's not a, it's not a computer. It's not an input-output situation. You, you have to do the work, but you've got to recognize this person is a person. You've got to work. Somehow you've got to find a way for them to understand what it means. And, and to be honest, you, you want to teach your kids what unity is about, you, you better dig into faith and hope and scripture and truth. We wonder why Christianity is so divided and contentious. It's because we think unity is about everybody conforming to us. Now that comes out in two different expressions. The first is what I call ecumenical unity. Ecumenical unity is unity where we just don't talk about what we disagree about. Let's just not talk about anything we might disagree about. We're just going to keep it as absolutely... How many of you like vanilla ice cream? Okay. Now, how many of you like vanilla ice cream because of your ability to add things to it? That's the real reason I like vanilla ice cream. It's really, really hard to add stuff to like double mocha chocolate chip. You're like, I can't put peanuts on this. It's going to explode. Like, like, you don't want to make a sundae with, like, what's the, the, the Fenway one that Hood makes? It's like mint ice cream with Reese's peanut butter cups and a bunch of, it's like, I can't make a sundae with this. Like, I barely chip it out. I'm just going to have to eat the whole carton. That's the way it's going to have to be, All right? Um, but, but you start with vanilla ice cream or chocolate ice cream, and you can add anything you want to that, All right? So, but when, if your entire life was, no, you get vanilla hoodies, well, can I put, no. In fact, you've got to eat it with the wood spoon. How many of you remember the wood spoon with the hoodie, right? Like you go to a birthday party, you're like, please let them have real ice cream. Please let all oh, hoodies. All right. It's like a, 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 a frozen treat. It, they can't even actually call it ice cream because it doesn't have enough dairy in it. It's just sugar and water and they, you know, it sticks in flavor. But if your whole world is just vanilla ice cream, if your world is, I was, when I was a kid, we were so poor. Now that's when you say, how poor were you? We were so poor that I used to make myself mustard sandwiches on white bread. Legit. All right? Legit. Um, and that was, that was what I would eat because that, we didn't have any lunch meat. We didn't have anything. And it was like, okay, mustard sandwich on white bread. You say, why didn't you use mayonnaise? Because mayonnaise is of the devil. But, um, uh, but the, the, uh, there's something wrong with that substance. Um, and... <laughs> but you, anyway, white bread, white bread and mayonnaise, and it's like you know what? If your whole life was white bread and, may, and mayonnaise, or white bread and mustard, or or, or it, your whole world, it's just it's. And they're like, this is all you want. This is how we go. Unity, unity is not about reducing um, everything to the bare minimum that we can all agree on, right? It's like, well, we just want. Let's just agree. That we believe that Jesus was. Was what? No, he just was. All right? Then we can all agree, right? We're all about Jesus. Or, Or my personal favorite is, we all agree that we're here about God. Like, what? I was like, can you be more specific? Which God? No, 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 no. Just God. Just God. And let's, and let's make sure that we don't capitalize her name. I'm like, whoa, hold up. Wait, wait, just a second. We've got to, well, we don't want to. We don't want to project pronouns on God. I'm like, he projected all on himself. I think we're good with that. There's that ecumenical unity, and then there's authoritarian unity. 
All right? Uh, if you're not in conformity with our bishop, you are not a Christian. If you didn't receive baptism the way that we say you have to, you're not a Christian. If, if you don't do um, the, the hokum just the right way, it doesn't count. If you don't dress our way, you don't act our way, you don't stand our way. And, and this isn't just the hierarchical churches, right? It's not just the, the big medieval churches that have thousands of years of stuff. I, I have been told that I, I had to shave my beard in order to speak at things. Because Christians don't have beards. Somebody should have told Jesus. <laughs> right? Um, I, I've, I, I have had people see pictures of our church and ask me questions about the people in those pictures. You let, you have men who have earrings in your church? I'm like, well, I'm not going to be able to hold them back. I might as well let them in. We had somebody one time, it was very early on in the church, uh, come in and they, they sat down and we were in worship service. They, and they, we had at the time, we had the new international version of English Bibles. And they asked Greg Jones, they said to him, why do you have NIV Bibles in your racks? And Greg proceeded to give a, a really, if you knew Greg Jones, he gave a very good, articulate explanation for why we use that particular translation, which we don't use now. Um, but, but uh, you know, he went through this whole thing. And he tells me afterwards, you know, i got to tell you this story. I was like, man, I'm so glad you answered that question. He goes, why? I said, because my response to the question, why do you have NIV Bibles in the racks, would have been the insurance company wouldn't let us drop them from the ceiling. And, and people want to have unity on all of these authority structures. You want Christian unity. It is not conformity with me, and it's not the lowest common denominator. It is knowing the nature and the person of God. In all of its beautiful, glorious mystery. If I could reduce unity... This way, it would be being confused about God together. Because there's a whole lot about God that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And so rather than trying to make sure everybody agrees with me, I just sit there and go, can we just get in the scriptures and see how incredible God is together? But you will never have unity by the lowest common denominator, and you'll never have unity by authority. Because what happens... On these sides. Over here, you get people just reducing it, reducing it, reducing until it's nothing. And over here, you have people controlling, controlling, controlling until somebody who is better at controlling people breaks off of them to control a group of people. Divide, 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 divide. Vanilla, vanilla, vanilla. Pistachio ice cream. <laughs> Blech. And the worst thing about pistachio ice cream is it's the same color as mint chocolate chip. And that's a confusing decision you do not want to make. You have, you have everybody, this is, we're going to be very specific, we're going to be very controlling, and then eventually split, 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 or we're going to be, uh, we're just not going to ever debate anything, da, 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 da. Real unity comes from knowing Christ, knowing God through Christ the way the scriptures describe him. And then we can have unity in the extraordinary mystery. Look at what, John, what the Apostle Paul said in the book of Ephesians. And for some of you, this is a very familiar passage. 
I want to end with the Apostle Paul's statement here. And we're going to make this our prayer. I'm going to literally end with this. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, Ephesians chapter 4, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, for there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But the grace was given but grace was given to each of one of you, each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Down at the end, in verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined, and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. My brothers and sisters, you want unity, go to God. Go to Christ. Revealed in the scriptures to us, because in him we find who we are to be as a part of his body not ours. Father, make us one as you are one. Help us to find our place in Christ. Lord, help us to celebrate the joy of the unity and diversity that you have given us as a church. To keep our focus on you and you alone. May your spirit give us the power and the strength